going to Azur Lane, I had zero expectations of finishing the anime or even getting further than a few episodes. Having had spent an embarrassing number of hours playing the mobile game, I was morbidly curious how anyone could take an anime out of the wild, shameless waters of this historic battleship simulator. What I expected was fan service, more fan service, and as many beach episodes as humanly possible. The reason I'm writing today, however, is to share that this anime was far more competent than it had any business being. First, I'd like to discuss the savvy way it handles a virtually non-existent story and turns it into a passable exploration of worldview and individuality. After this, it would be fair to call attention to the unavoidable nature of the franchise that makes a good deal of this anime problematic as well. I'd also like to give credit to the anime for trying to make super ambitious fight scenes, even if the execution was certainly sloppier than I'm sure they were hoping for. My final point drifts more into the franchise as a whole, but I'd like to highlight the spirit of Azur Lane's attention to naval history and how this makes its characters rich with history. Turn nothing into something. One of the most surprising parts of this anime was how the story was acceptable and lent itself for some interesting character drama. The mobile game of Azur Lane certainly has more story than most of the genre, but that's not really saying much. In the game, the cryptic cutscenes point to a break in a peace treaty as the subtly named Sakura Empire joins the Nats, I mean the Iron Blood forces against the not-US Eagle Union and the not-UK Royal Navy. Also. There are aliens, UFOs? The game doesn't really do a great job explaining who the sirens are. As for the anime, we get a bit more explanation as to why the Sakura Empire decides to shack up with Iron Blood and make a push towards recreating World War II. Spoiler for a show I really don't think deserves its own spoiler tag, the aliens convince the Sakura Empire to hastily attack the Azur Lane. Think of the Azur Lane as the allied forces here and to fuel their uh, all-spark, dark-wisdom cube. I said the story was coherent, not revolutionary, alright? Jokes aside, where this anime's story shines is through how it handles its colorful cast of characters. Sure, we could do a drive-by, hey look, it's ship's name, shooting, which the anime certainly does at certain points, but the short project decided to dive into some unexpected character depth. The two main members of the Azur Lane, USS Enterprise and HMS Belfast, demand most of the story's character drama focus. In particular, the broody Enterprise is explored to a great depth. Where I really enjoyed the story was through how it used Enterprise's conflict with her sense of purpose to convey a message regarding worldview. The sea is often used as a device for characters to hash out their differing worldviews, and it is interesting to see how Belfast helps Enterprise along with her changing viewpoint of what the sea was. While Enterprise sees it as a terrible thing that could only bring misfortune, Belfast and the other members of Azura Lane try to introduce perspective that the sea can also be a beautiful sight that brings joy. It is a bit on the nose, sure, but it's really well executed. As for the individuality side of things, Enterprise grumpily states that they are all just instruments of war, and that they cannot be normal people with freedoms and personalities. This is exactly where Belfast shines. She introduces Enterprise to the concept of self-care through making her become more conscious to diet and relaxation, builds self-confidence by showing her how much people look up to her, and finally convinces her to socialize with others, building her social support system. Belfast single-handedly integrates a normal, 
healthy lifestyle for a war-scarred machine. Again, Ozzer Lane has no business being competent in certain character developments and storytelling, but it surprises and does anyways. Sailing for sales. With that said, we all know what was inevitable with an anime adaptation of a popular gacha game where you collect anime boat girls. There is a boatload of fan service. There are three separate beach episodes, or beach setting episodes, and at least two different instances where different costumes are utilized. The Royal Navy ships go golfing in full golf attire, and the Royal Navy spies pretend to be part of Sakura Empire in kimonos. One of the episodes is an all-out cash grab as the ships uh, get maintenance done. The whole affair is especially uncomfortable given some of the, shall we say, size and commission age of the battleships. No matter how much enjoyment one gets out of the gacha game or found in the anime to be entertaining for other reasons, there will always be a large stain that is unavoidable with this kind of franchise. The shameless cash grab of fan service and appealing towards degeneracy is like a spilled glass of red wine in an open concept studio apartment that the designer decided to make everything from the walls to the carpet snow white. You can try to cover it up with a rug, but the stain is never going away. I adore Uzzer Lane in a way that I adore other anime franchises like Madagatari but the reputation will always follow it and make me, as a fan, read like an absolute degenerate. Ambitious, albeit average, animation. Perhaps the most misleading criticism of the anime I experienced was that Uzzer Lane was basically slideshow animation, and that it was some laughable attempt. While it is confirmed that fans were furious over the animation quality to the extent that the final few episodes were outright delayed for quality control, I am not entirely convinced this was some heinous animation. Sure, it was rough. But I think we have seen far worse still push forward with delusions that it was as acceptable as it was. No, I'm not just standing for it because I like the franchise. I actually think there is a better answer for why the animation was so rough in the cited frustrated stretch. The episode span that brought forth the delays saw the Azur Lane having a wicked fight with the Sakura Empire through an environment filled with glaciers and snowy mountains. While it was guilty of trying this before, this conflict had nearly every scene involving a fight executed at breakneck speeds and covering a lot of distance at once. It reminded me of Fate Apocrypha, where, at the peak of the speed of the fights, the animation struggled mightily to keep up with the scene. We see ships suddenly become super thinly drawn and the camera, so to speak, jerk around. The payoff moment that was supposed to be more epic than it ended up looking had HMS Javelin and USS Laffy going all out to save IJN Ayanami at a dizzying height. On paper, this scene sounds really cool, like most of the fights in this snowy climate setting, but unfortunately, it was clear the production value was not high enough to reach this. As the final fight and a bulk of the non-combat moments show, however, Ozzer Lane was passable as a fine grade in the animation department. While I know it ultimately sank the reputation of this anime, I cannot help but to wonder what could have been if this ambitious stretch of a few episodes looked as pretty as I'm sure the scriptwriters imagined. What makes Azur Lane work for me? This should come as no surprise. I love military history. Boats, planes, tanks, you name it. My school district picked me to represent them at an academic conference based off of a paper I submitted in my high school history class. When I enlisted, my instructors were far more impressed with my presentations about military tactics and great military leaders than my actual marks on exams and practical exercises. I missed the whole Kantai Kankol thing since I wasn't really into anime when that was uh, at its fever pitch. So I never really had a franchise that explored a subject I nerd out to. When Azur Lane dropped, 
Like most of the things I don't realize what I'm getting into, I never realized how problematic the community around it was. Sure, the game was shameless with marketing, but I was more fixated, red, addicted, to collecting my favorite ships throughout history. The characters themselves were secondary to me, and I found myself looking up and realizing I had plowed through all the content this game had to offer. Besides events I missed before joining, I had every Eagle Union ship and most of the Royal Navy. By this point, I decided to quit playing. What made the franchise so fun to me? Well, after I got done collecting all of the ships, I thought it was fun to see how the writers worked in real history into the characters. I took tremendous pride in the fact that my home, Cleveland, was represented by one of the best Eagle Union ships in the game. It felt like the same kind of pride one takes in a sports team that represents their home. Ships of the same build classifications were sisters, and shared different appearance traits or abilities. It was all of the small attention to detail stuff, but it amused me greatly. I had never really stopped to consider the toxicity of the fan base. Sure, I saw my fair share of fan art of the ships, but it was not why I enjoyed the franchise. It has always been fun to figure out which ship was closest to where my friends lived, or in the case of my Navy friends, show them which characters they were assigned to. It was good, innocent fun in that regard. The unfortunate fate of the anime is not something I find particularly shocking. For worse, those who were already off-board were not going to be won over by this attempt. Fans were already torn about there being an adaptation, and the introduction of an ultra-small studio did not bode well for reputation either. By the time the ship even left port, there were damning holes in it. I enjoyed it for what it was, and even found some of what it did kind of moving. It was cool to see all of the ships that I spent all this time getting being as expressive as they were written to be. The anime answered weird little questions like, how do they get the ship parts? Are those always there or something? In creative ways. For being such a big undertaking, I thought it was competent for the most part. Unfortunately, animation is, in fact, something that is required in an anime, and the greedy run it had at making something remarkable fall so flat could not be salvaged by the average animation found throughout. If you don't already love Azur Lane, I don't think that there is any rational reason for you to even consider this anime. If you do like the ship collectathon and were curious, however, I think it is worth giving a look. If you go in with low expectations, it will be enjoyable. Ultimately, I think it is important to consider that an anime that many call trash and immediately blitz with the same tired jokes could be enjoyed by someone who has an open mind and lowered expectations. Not everything's going to be Violet Evergarden or Astra Lost in Space. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner we can enjoy mediocre anime like Ozzer Lane for their few fun moments. My name is Dil Kokoro, and you can find me at Dil Kokoro on Twitter. My articles are available narrated on Anchor at Dil Kokoro Collection, and my bi-weekly podcast with Anate and other anime writing community members can be found as the Dil Kokoro Podcast. Thanks for your time, and happy holidays.